I know as a dad, one of the things that I like about uh, Christmas is I love giving gifts to my uh, children. And, uh, you know, everybody does it differently. But in our house, I just am kind of one of those dads that I like to be involved in the gift purchasing process. And so for us, it's a very organized kind of thing. We get like the spreadsheet out, they have the budget planned and everything, but then it's like, okay, what are we going to hear? What are some ideas? You know, and Christina will throw out some ideas like, let's, you know, maybe this or that. And then I'll throw out my ideas. And usually I've got like the fringy kind of things, you know, that she's like, honey, come on. That's not going to work. But then usually there's a thing that I'm like, I really think that she, you know, this daughter is going to really like this particular gift, you know, and it's always like a big thing on Christmas, you know, to give it. And then they open it up and like, you know, when the reaction is good, you know, I'm like, see, I told you that they'd be into that. And then for me, it's always the day of or the day after, I'm waiting for that moment where just in like a quiet, still kind of time, they get into it and they start enjoying that gift that their daddy gave to them, all right? It's just something that as a father, I'm into, that I like. I don't want to spoil them. I don't want to do any of that, but I do like giving gifts uh, to my children and I want them to enjoy the things that I have given to them. Well, our Father in heaven, really in so many ways that are similar yet with always pure motivations and always giving good and perfect gifts. Our Father is in many ways the same. He has given to us an incredible gift. He gave to us his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if we, by faith, have received what the Father has given to us, if we have been, as Paul said in verse 1 of Romans 5, if we have been justified by faith, then there are certain things because of that justification that we now currently have. And that's really where this text is going. Things that the Father has embedded into justification by faith. Things that we, as believers, currently have that God the Father then says, I want you to enjoy these things. I want you to have these things. You possess them. I now want you to enjoy them and to experience them. So there are really, I'm sure there are many more, but we're going to look at seven things in this text, verse 1 to 11, that God has given to us because of justification by faith that he now wants for us to receive and to enjoy in our lives. Okay, so let's just go through them. The first one is found actually in the first verse. Let's read it together. He says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have, did you see it there? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this world is trying to get peace, amen? We're trying to get peace. So often we're looking for peace internally, or we're looking for peace internationally. We're looking for peace in our community, but the most important level and brand of peace that actually will then color and affect those other versions of peace is peace with God. And what Paul announces is that through the message of the gospel, when you believe in Jesus, you have peace with God. That speaks of a war that previously existed that no longer exists, that there is now peace between God and man by the blood of Jesus Christ. So 
This is one of those things that we might take for granted as believers from time to time, but just think of it. There's this holy, righteous, transcendent, awesome, powerful God who when you believe on Jesus Christ, he will then say to you, you and I, we're at peace. The war is over. There might be times that I need to chasten you like a father does or discipline you. There might be times I need to correct you. There might be times that I need to develop your, your faith and to stretch you out a little bit. There might be times I need to take you from childhood into maturity, but my general feeling towards you, the position that you have in my sight by the blood of my son is that we are at peace with each other. The war is no longer there. We are unified together, okay? So we have peace with God. That's an incredible thing. And then, of course, as believers, what we want to do is to take the peace that we have with God and let it color the entirety of our lives. There are nations at war on earth right now today that are, that are so because, in general, the people that exist within them do not have peace with God. And they want it so badly, but because it's lacking, it lashes out in full-on warfare. And so we, as believers, we have peace with God. That's a beautiful thing. Amen. All right, so that's the first gift that we get from the Lord. Number 2. Look in verse 2. He says through him, that's through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So another thing that we currently have, we currently have peace with God as believers, but we also currently by faith have access into this grace in which we stand. In other words, we have access into a grace position with God. That's his position towards you and me is one of grace. Now, a lot of times in the Bible, grace is spoken of as God's action. Okay, so the cross, that is something that God does. It's an action of grace. He sends his son. It's something that he does for you and for me. And we say, that is grace, that he would do that for you and for me. But right here, this actually isn't the action of God. It's the position that we have with God. It's the feeling of God towards us as his people. He puts us in a standing of, a status of his favor, his privilege, his acceptance. In other words, for the believer, God has changed the relationship status to grace. You have grace before me. My favor is pointing towards you. Maybe a way that I could illustrate this would be to talk about my own daughters. You know, I've told you before, we're in softball, you know, zone this last week. I felt like I was at the ball field for like 20 hours or 30 hours this last week. You know, I, I give my daughters the speech. If you want to, you know, be good at this, you have to be the first one there and you have to be the last one to leave. All the great ones. You think Michael Jordan never left the gym before? You know, I do the whole thing. And what, so they hate it. No, they like it. But, um, you know, so I just like, you know, being there, and I'll try, I try to tell, you know, the other little girls on these teams, I tell them, you know, if you want more ground balls, if you want to pitch, if you want to hit, uh, if you want to, you know, work on stuff, I'll stay after. If I can, I'll stay after. I'll be there, you know, and I like it, you know, I like just being with them. Like, I think in another life, I want to, you know, later on in my life, I think I want to be like a children's ministry guy, because I just love just being around children. They're just awesome to me, and I love working with these kids, and then when it comes game time, I love seeing it 
kind of come together. You know, a little thing that you taught them or whatever that they put together, it's actually happening on the field. The coaches were like high-fiving, like, it happened out there, you know, kind of thing. But when, so like yesterday, we had a game, and when my daughter gets up to bat, I'm like pulling for all these girls. I've worked with all of them on their swings and everything like that. I'm trying to tell them all this stuff. But when she gets up to bat, it's different. It's different. You know, it's different. I find myself in this place where I'm like, is it okay? Am I allowed to pray for this? <laughs> you know, am I allowed to say, oh, Lord, bring the perfect pitch to the barrel of the bat and just let her destroy it? You know, like, let it happen. You know, probably like some other dad is praying for his daughter who's pitching, you know, like, oh, Lord, tell her to strike out this little girl, you know. So I don't know. It's like a cosmic prayer battle, you know, that we're having. But it's why. It's because she's in a position of grace in my sight. She's my daughter. She's my child. That's the role, that's the position that she has in my sight. And we, as God's people, a second great blessing. We have peace with God, but we also have this incredible grace position before God. We get this through Jesus, through him, he says, we've obtained this. We go through the door of Jesus. He says, I am the door. And so we go through him, but we then enter into this incredible position of the grace of God upon our lives. Now, a third great blessing is also found there in verse 2. He says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, the first two great gifts that we've looked at, they're probably a little, even though they take a lifetime to really receive and to run in and to enjoy, they're a little easier to understand. My position of I have peace with God, my position of grace with God, that he has that attitude towards my life. But you probably this last week didn't walk around saying anything like, you know what I have? I have hope in the glory of God. Right? But this is actually a huge part of being a believer. What is it? Okay. All right, hope in the glory of God. All right, so where, let me ask you this, where is the glory of God most just potent and strong and completely unfiltered? Well, it's in heaven, in his throne room, where he is. All right? So in one sense, what this is is, Hope, and in the Bible, in the New Testament, hope is not a wishful longing. Hope is a confident expectation of what will come because of Jesus. It's a confident expectation of what will come because of Jesus. And so for the life of a believer, there's this sense where we would say, I am so confident that a day is coming where I will see the glory of God. I will see the majestic creator of the heavens and the earth. And I will see the one who, when I see him, I'll say to myself, I thought I'd seen beautiful things, but now I have seen the true definition of the one that is beautiful. Okay, so that's part of hoping in the glory of God as a believer. But there are other parts of this. It'll tell us in Romans chapter 8 that creation is groaning because it is under this corruption that's in the world. And creation is looking forward to its own redemption. So on another hand, we would then say, I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to the glory of God that when I look around and I see 
the brokenness in the planet, the sickness and famine and greed and sin in the planet, or I just see the you know, decay that's here on earth. When I see things like that, I also have a hope in the glory of God that these things as well are going to be redeemed by Jesus. At his coming, he's going to put these things under his feet. He's going to rule and reign and have authority and eventually a new heavens and a new earth are going to come. So I have hope in the glory of God in that sense as well, that all that's broken is going to be made unbroken and whole and glorious by God. But then probably the biggest category of the hope of the glory of God is inside of our own souls. Looking forward to the day when we receive our new bodies as believers and we are changed and transformed to be like the Lord. Listen to this promise in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right? So if you're a believer, you are God's child now. But then John says, And what we will be has not yet appeared. Right, so the like, best version of you has not yet happened. It's yet future. What we will be, he says, has not yet appeared. And then he says, but we know that when he appears, when we see God, when Christ returns, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's a pretty massive prob- promise, that a day is coming for believers when they will see the Lord and as a result, we will be so changed and transformed that we will be like him. Not like him in the, in the sense that we become deity, that's not a possibility, but like him in the sense that we are pure, that we are clean, that we are unmixed, that there is no possibility for sin, that we are whole, that we are unbroken, that we are accurately reflecting the very image of God, which is so difficult for us to do in our broken and in our fallen and in our earthly state. All right, so we as Christians, this is a huge gift God has given to us. We have this strong confidence that because of Jesus, one day we are going to experience in all of those realms I just talked about, the glory of God in our lives. That is a beautiful and incredible reality. Maybe for you, you've had different things that you've wanted in your life, that you've thought, you know, someday I'm gonna be like this, someday I'm gonna learn this skill, someday I'm gonna get control of this appetite or something like that, you know. Someday I'm gonna be able to bench press, you know, 200 pounds, you know. Like, that could be something that maybe I would say, it's like not gonna happen, I got runner's arms, you know. It's just not gonna happen very quickly. But maybe like these desires that we have that are out there, well, there's one that is most magnificent, the glory of God, and it will come to pass. Uh, for every believer in Christ Jesus, all right? So we celebrate that. All right, let's look at our next one, all right? Our fourth great blessing that Paul mentions in the text. Verse three, and not only that, he says, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
All right, don't you love verses like these, you know, in the Bible? You know, here you are, you're trucking along, you're like, yeah, this is cool. Nate said this is going to be like Christmas. We're going to be opening up these presents uh, from our Father in heaven, and so he's uh, peace with God. Yeah, that's cool, you know, and, and uh, that I have the grace of God. Oh, I take it, you know, that's cool. And the hope of the glory of God, that's incredible. And then Paul comes rolling in with this like, and not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings and don't you sometimes like read verses like that and you're like who's we man (laughs) I don't know who you're talking to but I don't know that I throw myself into uh, that camp and I'm sure that a lot of us have known different believers who have had it almost feels like delusional kind of uh, of a relationship with their suffering where when you look at them and you say, man, what you're going through right, you, through right now, it seems, like a, it seems difficult, seems hard. How are you doing? And you're waiting for them to you know, really let you know, like, yeah, it is difficult. And it is painful what I'm passing through and what I'm going through. But maybe you've met a believer or two before who is like, you know, how are you doing? They're like, I'm good. I'm so good. So good, you know, and you're like, I don't, I don't know if I believe you right now, you know, and uh, really, how are you doing? Like, no, the joy of the Lord, it's my strength. It is, like, I'm good. And they've, what maybe has happened in their minds is they've thought that the Bible has told them that they need to actually be happy about the fact that sufferings have come into their life. And that isn't what Paul is saying. What he's saying is, look, we live in a world where there is suffering. God hates suffering, by the way. He looked at suffering. He says, I want to kill suffering. And I've decided that the way that I will destroy all suffering is by allowing my son to suffer like no one has ever suffered and go into the grave and rise from the grave that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life where they will not suffer ever again. That's how I will banish all suffering for all time for all people who believe in this message that I've given but suffering exists. The thing that believers rejoice in, though, notice it. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces. So the thing that we rejoice in is not, oh, yippee, I get to suffer. You know, like I've just, it's been on my bucket list to go through this trial, and now I'm so excited. That's not it. It's as I go through this, I get to go through this differently than people without the Lord. And I get to have the Lord produce something in my life. He's going to shape me through this suffering. The word suffering is a word that actually means pressures, afflictions. When these pressures and these afflictions come into my life, there's the possibility that God is going to take these things and as I go through them with Jesus, he is going to produce endurance and that endurance is eventually going to turn into character or reliability and that reliability is going to turn into hope in my life. All right, so let's look at each one of those things and just think about what the Lord wants to do through the suffering in our lives. First of all, suffering produces uh, endurance. Somebody said it this way, that suffering is the one and only path to glory for believers, that as it was for Christ, so it is for us. And one of the first things it produces is endurance. 
patience, steadfastness, spiritual fortitude. The only way you can really acquire endurance in this life to be able to persist through trial is to go through trial. Suffering produces that kind of endurance. Maybe you've seen like a family dog that, you know, is like brand new onto the scene and comes into a house filled with a bunch of kids and it's like a little, it takes it to like a little learning curve for that dog. Like, it's crazy. You're going to have kids that are trying to, you know, put saddles on you and ride you and stuff like that. But then have you ever seen like that old grizzled veteran dog that's just been around the block and it's had kids climbing all over it, pulling its tail and its ears and it's just sitting there, just chilling. Just, that's endurance, okay? It has gone through all of the stuff it needed to go through to get to the point of being able to endure the hour and the time of difficulty. And that endurance, Paul says, then goes on to produce character. You become reliable. Change begins to happen inside of your heart. Obstacles within your heart and soul, things that you never thought that you would grow in or over or past, you begin to grow. And then what happens as a result of that character or maturity that begins to come in your life, the next thing Paul says is, then hope comes. What does that mean? Well, he just said, We have the hope of the glory of God. In other words, basically we'd say, I have this confidence that someday I'm going to be like Jesus. But when you on earth go through trial that turns into endurance, that turns into character, it turns into hope. And you begin to say, you know, I know that someday I'll be conformed into the image of Christ. But right now, I'm starting to see little glimpses of the life of Jesus in my life now. And I'm being filled with hope that as I go through these things, the Lord's going to change me to be more and more like Christ. And that is an incredible thing. That's powerful. It's beautiful. I remember, you know, all my life, my family in different forms, we've been going up to, in the summer times usually, up to Lake Tahoe. And um, we love it there. We're not snow people. We don't really go in the wintertime. But summertime, we dig it. And I remember a bunch of years ago being up there and being on the south side of the lake, there are these two big sandy beaches, Pope Beach and Baldwin Beach. And if you're on that beach and you're looking out into the water, if you look over your left shoulder, there's this mount, uh, mountain called Mount Talic. And I remember years ago reading this thing where they said, uh, if you want a really beautiful hike, Thus, there's this hike up to Mount Talic. It kind of starts down there by the beach, and then you climb up. It starts at like 6,500 feet, and you end at like 10,000 feet. And I remember years ago reading that and going, you know, that'd be cool to do, you know, someday, but I don't think that uh, that's going to happen, you know, anytime uh, soon. Just kind of put it out of my mind. And then, you know, I started getting into running a little bit, and then someone was like, hey, you want to do this little race? It has some hills in it, you know, and so I started, I was like, I got to find a hill to run on, you know, and learn how to do that. So I found this hill by my house on, it was a street, you know, road, and it was like, to me, it was this massive hill, and uh, it's like 200 yards, maybe 300 yards, you know, but like after doing that for a while, I'm like, man, I'm like a big time hill 
runner, you know. <laughs> and then after doing that, someone was like, hey, you want to go out to Fort Ord? You want to run out there sometime? So I went out there. I'm like, man, these are some serious hills. And there was like this one hill that we named it. We're like, that, that hill now will be called the Beast. And we're like, let's go. We'll run the Beast, you know. And like this big hill and everything. And did that for a while. And then, and then someone was like, hey, do you want to go run out in Toro Park and go out to Black Mountain and everything, and we went, and I went out there and started running out there and got up to the top of that and looked down, and I saw the beast. I saw the beast way down there. I'm like, hi, beast, this little teeny thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, cool, and then one day, I'm chilling in Tahoe, and I'm like, you know what I think I'm going to do today? I think I'm going to get up. I think I'm going to go to Mount Talek, and I think I'm going to try to run that, and it wasn't pretty, but it happened, and it, what happened was over time, this hope began to fill my heart like, I think that could actually happen. I think that is not outside the realm of possibility. I could grow to that. And I think that's a good analogy for our own spiritual character. And in fact, in Christ, it's much better because, you know, anybody who's done anything athletic, you kind of know, like, and someday I'll also have the hope that I'll have my knees replaced, you know? Like, I won't be doing that, you know, for forever. But when it comes to your character in Christ, it's like this thing where you're going, I will get to the top in Jesus. I will see the Lord, and, and I will be changed into his image. But as I go through these moments of suffering that lead to endurance, that lead to character, I begin to be filled with hope that, yes, things that I never thought would happen in my life, things that I never thought I would overcome, appetites I never thought that I would be able to deal with and put away, slowly but surely, by Jesus they're happening in my life, and he's using the trials, the suffering in my life to produce this godly character uh, in my life and, and in uh, my heart. And the Lord will do that. that in my life. He'll do that in your life. He will grow us through the trials and the difficulties, the sufferings that you and I uh, walk through. I sat recently with a friend of mine named Paul Hammontree. He pastors a church in Baton Rouge. We actually prayed for him publicly a couple of years ago because he one day just went to the doctor, thought he had a sinus infection, and a month later he's finding out that he has an aggressive form of cancer, that there's like a 4% chance that he'll live. And he went through this year-long battle and process, surgery, uh, very invasive, and radiation, and chemotherapy, and they told him, we're going to bring you to the edge of death, dangle you over the cliff, and then hope that your body comes back. And I sat with him, and there's always the chance that it'll come back. But I just sat with him, and I just, as I listened to his story, as I listened to his maturity, he's just so, it's just incredible just being with him. Because you just listen to a man of character. You listen to a man that says, you know, I, I know a lot of people don't make it through this. And I could have been one of those people. And I still might be one of those people. And I don't think that I made it through because I'm some special person. I'm just here. And I'm thankful. And I'm going to try to help people as best I can. And I'm going to preach the word as best I can. I'm just going to do what the Lord has me to do here in this life. But I just listened to a man of depth and character and growth because in that trial, he pressed into it with Jesus. 
And so I guess part of this whole thing that Paul says we rejoice over, part of the sort of rubber meets the road is to say that when those moments of suffering come, I encourage you to press into the Lord. Uh, People sometimes ask me, how did you learn how to pray? I don't know that I would have ever learned how to pray without dark moments and suffering and pain being brought into my life. I don't know that I ever would have gone out to be alone, to walk with God, and to pour out my heart to my Father who's in heaven. It's not the natural inclination, though, when the suffering comes to do that. There might be a little bit of like, why God, and how could this happen? There might be a little bit of that that's natural, but real pressing in, fellowship with God, Lord, we're going to go through this together, I know that you're with me, that kind of thing. That at least isn't my natural inclination. When things are difficult, I want to turn to Netflix and my friends Ben and Jerry and just spend time with them. That's what I want to do. I want to do anything I can to mask the pain, but when you run into it with Jesus, he stands with you like he stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego inside the fires, and he walks with you through that, and it grows your endurance, and it grows your character, and it fills you with hope that, you know what, I think I actually am growing and becoming more Christ-like than I was before. That's a powerful gift that the Lord gives to us. And this life that we have here on earth is the only opportunity that we have to live that out. So Paul gives us that incredible uh, encouragement. Now in verse five, he goes on and he says, another blessing, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul announces something beautiful. He says, this hope that we have, you know, that we're going to be transformed into the image of Christ and we'll be changed when we see him, the the hope of the glory of God, that hope actually does not disappoint. It does not put us to shame. In other words, as embarrassed as you might be tempted to feel as a believer from time to time here on earth, there is coming a day where there will be none of that shame, and you'll say, man, I'm so glad. Look at what the Lord has just done in my life, okay? It will not put us to shame, he says. Part of the reason for that, Paul says, one thing that we celebrate is very simple. We celebrate God's love. He loves us. And here's how he says he shows us that he loves us. Two ways. He says, because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has been deposited into your account. The Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as like a down payment of God saying, you belong to me. You're born again. You're born of the Spirit. If you believed in Jesus, you believed in the gospel message, you're born again. You've been made new. You're a new creation. And so I put my spirit inside of you. He is the deposit. He is the down payment. And that down payment means I'm going to come and receive what I've purchased. Okay, I've put a down payment, a deposit, and I will collect. I'm going to receive you to myself. And the Holy Spirit inside of us, Paul says, he says he has 
poured out the love of God into our hearts. That's what he said there in that text. He, will pour, he has poured out the love of God into our hearts. So one way that we're conscious of the love of God is by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You say, what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, one thing the Holy Spirit does is he pours out the love of God into our hearts. So if you've ever had that moment where maybe it's a really quiet, still, small impression of God loves me. Or you've had the, on the other end of the spectrum, that crushing moment where you feel overwhelmed with the love of God, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He will pour out the love of Jesus into our uh, hearts. So sometimes we're just, you know, I want to read the word of God so the Holy Spirit has some ammunition to work with to pour out the love of God into my life. But it goes beyond that experience of the Spirit pouring out his love into us, into what Paul said, this, the Spirit points us back to not just this warm, fuzzy, like, God loves me, but why does he love me? And how does he love me? How did he show me that he loves me? And Paul goes all the way back to the cross, didn't he? He says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the love of God, what brand of love is it? You know, sometimes we talk about it like a marital kind of thing because that's an analogy the New Testament uses, that Christ loves the church like a husband loves his bride. In fact, we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus laid down his life for his bride. He washes his bride with the water of the word. He cares for, he loves his bride, right? But when did Jesus acquire this bride? Well, Paul uses different words. Christ died for the weak. He died for the ungodly. He died for the sinners. And in a couple of verses, we'll see that he died for the enemies of God uh, within uh, this world. So he did not find us in our best and say, I want you. He found us at our worst. And this is where the analogy just sort of breaks down, doesn't it? You know, I remember when I uh, got to a place, you know, when I, well, I was ready to have the conversation with Christina, the, the like, I got feelings, girl, you know, kind of conversation. I remember it, you know, and uh, for, I mean, there, it was like, uh, I really actually thought uh, there was like a 99.9% part of me that thought that after sharing that with her, uh, her response was going to be, oh, oh that's awkward, <laughs> you know. I really thought that was coming. Like, uh, I just enjoy being friends with you. Uh, you know, you're super nice. You know, I really thought that's what was coming, but it was just kind of like I couldn't stand it anymore. But there was like a 0.1% part of me that was hoping, and she did. She, she's like, that's how I feel too. And I was like, what? Like, I, I hadn't planned for that contingency, you know. I was like ready for like, okay, so we need to stop being around each other, you know. Like, I was ready for that, but she's like, yeah, I'm down, you know. And and, but when that happened in my life, I mean, I got to tell you, like, I thought, I'm like, she's beautiful. I enjoy her. I want to be with her. She loves Jesus. I'm attracted to her. Like, I could see myself potentially spending the rest of my life with her. That wasn't like my lead, you know, like, I got something to say. Uh, I could see myself spending the rest of my life with you. Run away. You know, like, that wasn't it. But that's how I felt, right? Jesus, when he found us, 
He came to people that were in sin, that were ungodly, that were enemies of God. And he found us in that state, and he looked through that and saw something beautiful that he could make on the other side of things. That's the kind of union that Christ has purchased for you and for me. That's the love that we have from God. It's incredible. It's incredible, all right? So the Holy Spirit pours that out into our hearts, and he reminds us, remember the state that you were in when Christ died for you. You were an enemy of God. You, were a, you, you did not love God. F.F. Bruce, the scholar, said it this way. He said, when once the Spirit has made Christ's Calvary love overwhelmingly real to a man in his inner experience, he is bound to think evermore, this man, if God loves me as much as that, he will love me to the end. All right, so we need to embrace and consume the love of God. All right, let's look at our last couple of blessings in our text. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Up to this point in this passage, everything is what we already have. We have peace, we have grace, we have hope in the glory of God, we have uh, re redemption of our trials, we have the love of God, we have it all. And since that's what we have, Paul is saying, we are confident that we will have something incredible in the future. And he says, it's the escape from God's wrath. That is not our fate as believers. Our names have been taken and written in the Lamb's book of life. On that last day, when the books are opened and mankind gives an account for their lives, our names, the na our works, that won't be, those won't be the books that are opened up for us. The book that will be opened for us is the Lamb's book of life, and your name is written there by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so those who have believed in him, we are saved, he says, by his life, united to Jesus in his resurrection, which we will see again in chapter 6. More than that, verse 11. All right, so we have all these blessings, all these blessings. But there's one more, and this is it, verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The final blessing in this little 11-verse section, it really does all tie together. You have peace with God. It kind of ends with God as well. It started with God. Peace with God, it ends with God. The thing that we rejoice over is that we have God. He says, we also rejoice in God. Yes, we have these beautiful things from God, peace and his love. We have these things as a result of the gospel message and believing in it. But a beautiful part of this is that we now have God himself. We have fellowship with God. We have friendship with God. Like Abraham, who we saw a couple of weeks ago, who became a friend of God, we also, by the blood of Jesus, become friends with God. And my encouragement simply to you is that you would, as Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Or maybe another way of saying it, enjoy the Lord always. Again, I say enjoy. 
enjoy this relationship with God that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and I to be able to possess and have. Spend time in the presence of God. Christina and I have been fortunate enough for our 14 years of marriage to have a date night. Some people make fun of the date night concept, but we're all about it. And uh, we go and we just sit and we just try to enjoy each other and talk and catch up. And in the busyness of life, like Judith was talking about earlier, in the busyness of life, we want to just enjoy one another, experience one another, spend time with one another. And in our relationship with God, we have God. You know, when I look at her, I say, you know, the thing is, I didn't marry you because I saw the children. I didn't marry you because I saw the household and the family and the legacy that we would try to build together. What I married you for is you. I wanted you. I wanted to be with you. I wanted to spend time with you. I wanted to hang out with you. And when you just get out with God and you spend time with him, it's like that's what this is all about. Just enjoying God, experiencing him, praying to him, crying out to him, opening up your heart and your mouth to him, becoming a person of prayer with him. So I've just been learning a lot about that lately, just been learning more and more how God is just so available to me. He wants a relationship with me, even just a couple of minutes to just turn my attention to him and say, Father, here's something I'm going through right now. Pray through it. He's just so good. So he loves us. And Paul is saying this is one of the great blessings we have as a result of the gospel. We rejoice in, we have God. We rejoice in God. Amen? Okay, so let me pray uh, for you. And uh, then what we're going to do together is we're going to take communion. And so this is for believers. And uh, as they pass out the bread and cup, just hold them in your hands and we will partake together as a family after we sing this song uh, to Jesus. So let me pray. Father, I pray for your people, and we just come to you together. We're hungry for you. We need more and more you to work and move in our lives. So Father, we ask and pray that you would help us. Give us your strength. And I think probably for a lot of us, when looking at the verses about the suffering, we pray, Lord, and ask, Father, that you would strengthen us in the middle of those sufferings and trials. Help us, Lord, to turn to you in those moments that the suffering might produce the endurance, then the character, then the hope. So please do that, Lord, within our hearts. And now be honored as we eat at your table. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.